So the cleaning staff comes in here every night and they clean the desks in the training room with Armorall. So the desks are slimy in the morning. So that's why it took me so long to move to the back of the room as I moved to the back of the room and then I had to de-slime my desk. <laughs> and because all, all programmers are 12 year old boys, we have discovered that the cool thing you can do with this is you can sit on a desk that's been cleaned and then scoop off and it leaves a perfect butt print. This podcast is sponsored by New Relic. To track and optimize your application's performance, go to rubyrogues.com slash newrelic. Hosting and bandwidth provided by the Blue Box Group. Check them out at bluebox.net. Hey, everybody, and welcome to episode 63 of the Ruby Rogues podcast. This week on our panel, we have Avdi Grimm. Hello, hello. We also have David Brady. Hello, and welcome from muggy, cloudy, rainy, flash floody Chattanooga, Tennessee. And Josh Susser just <laughs> dropped off. <laughs> Oops. He just, he just dropped back in. He just dropped back on, in. That's, yeah. the, that, that's what happens when you reach for the mute button, but accidentally hit the, the big red button that screams, hit me, hit me. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's all red and shiny and wants you to focus. All right, I'm Charles Maxwood from devchat.tv, and this week we're going to be talking about hiring Ruby and Ruby on Rails programmers. And please, if anybody has a job, he's talking about me. (laughs) (laughs) So I I think it's kind of interesting for a couple of reasons that we're talking about this. I I, I think we've all been part of a hiring process, as we talked about before the show, but um, it's it's kind of funny to me that uh, I think Avdi, Dave, and I are all self-employed, and uh, Josh is still in the early stages of a startup. So yes, I'm, a, so I'm essentially self-employed. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, um, you know, kind of funny. I, I do have some subcontractors. And, uh, you know, like I said, we've all been part of the hiring process in one way or another. So it should be kind of interesting to see what we come up with with uh, hiring programmers. Mm-hmm. Um, now, some of these questions, as jo- um, Josh was pointing out before the show, are a little bit silly. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh, you mean from the uh, from the user voice? Yeah, can I just read it? <laughs> let's okay. just start, in fact, let's just read that one and, and almost treat it like it's serious. Right. <laughs> How to interview people for Ruby and... Okay, so... The, the title is Hire People for Ruby and ROR Jobs. Um, how to interview people for Ruby and ROR jobs. What questions to ask. How should the ideal candidate look like? What must they know? What if the applicant is a girl? Okay, so what if the applicant is a girl changes how should the ideal candidate look like? <laughs> no, it doesn't. <laughs> they should look like a girl if they're a girl. Is that what you're implying, Dave? You know, I'm not even going to go there. Um, <laughs> I, 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 you know, I, star- I started with the faux bigot joke, and I'm just going to back away slowly now. <laughs> the first, first rule of holes, when you find yourself in a hole, stop digging. <laughs> I, I was okay. hoping you'd just open wide and let me cram words in there. All no, right. It's, no, I've got both my feet in here right now. <laughs> All right. So now juniors and seniors, how to see prospects of a true pro in, in a today junior? Uh, I, guess, I guess that's seeing the potential and someone that's a junior junior to become a good senior. How to tell a fake senior from a true one. What is more important, personality, good mixer, adaptability, teachability, stress management, management or professional skills? Uh, I think the whole thing about fake IDs and people trying to get senior discounts is a serious issue. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I, I can't take credit for this joke, but uh, guy, somebody on Leno, he's like, yeah, my grandma... Or my, my grandma broke her leg. He's like, really? What happened? Well, she was she was spray painting Go Seniors on an overpass, and she slipped and fell. <laughs> nice. <laughs> okay. Well, okay. So I, I'm guessing that uh, some of the languaging in, in there is just because somebody was, um, you know, English wasn't their first language. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, we'll make allowances. <laughs> but uh, there, there's some good questions in there. There are. It just seemed like some of them were a little bit. Uh, you know, funny. I think there's like oversensitivity to sexism in in the Ruby community, and I think oh. that's. And I don't think necessarily think that's a bad thing. Um, <laughs> okay. <laughs> but but I I, I just kind of want to you know what if the applicant is a, is a girl, and I just want to respond to that question by saying don't worry your pretty little head about it. 
<laughs> well said. If they if they can program, hire them. <laughs> nice. Yeah, exactly. Okay. If they're the most qualified person, it doesn't matter what gender, race, or anything else they are. Okay. Well, well that, so, so let's get into the topic, and then yeah, you know, we can t- we can talk about um, you know equal opportunity employment and stuff like that as part yeah. of there. Yeah. Oh, now you're going to give me a headache. Okay. <laughs> well, I, I like to share. <laughs> All right. So, so one of the things that I want to talk about first off is just, um, and this is a topic that comes up every so often, is is the resume dead? Yes. I dear Lord, I hope so. The, well, I think it depends on what kind of, of company yeah. you, you're at. The If you're at a big company, I think resumes are still useful for just getting yourself into the into the hiring queue. Mm-hmm. I uh, swore off resumes in two thousand six or seven. I basically said I'll never, never. I mean, I'm going to stop updating my resume. If somebody wants a resume from me, I don't want to work for them. Or if they want a resume before they interview me, I don't want to interview with them. I don't even want to work there. And I had two jobs after that point in time where I hired on um, because, you know, I knew somebody and I got to talking to people and I networked with at conferences and whatnot. And the company was just big enough to have an HR department. And after I hired on and signed my paperwork and was on the payroll, they came to me and they said, we need your resume for your personnel file. And I was like, why? And they're like, we just need it. And I'm like, yeah. okay, so no good reason at all. And uh, so, yeah, I like found an ancient copy of my resume and looked at it and said, well, Everything here is true, so they, you know, I mean, basically, it's a, it's a lose, it's a win lose situation, right? If your, if your resume is accurate, it's, it's not a win lose, it's, it's a zero or lose uh, proposition, right? Because if your resume is accurate, it does nothing to your employment, but if there's a typo, or if uh, heaven forbid you lied on your resume, then they can fire you for it. Uh, yeah, and you have to step down as CEO of Yahoo. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, I could probably yeah, but, live with that shame. Yeah, but 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 for CEOs, what if the applicant is a girl? Because <laughs> didn't didn't they hire what's what's her name from Google um, as the CEO Bar- over at you? Marissa. Yeah, seems like a smart smart girl, smart person. Anyway, so yeah, um, so the the thing that I think. The only thing that I get out of resumes is just, oh, okay, I can see where you worked and how long you were there. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's really nothing else there for me. Yeah. Well, uh, well, I think that in a lot of cases, LinkedIn um, is starting to take the place of the the printed re- one-page resume. That, you know, between LinkedIn and GitHub, that's most of what people want to see for, for you know, hiring paperwork these days. Yeah. That, that's yeah. true. Uh, the thing that LinkedIn gives you is the recommendation. So if they're recommended, especially by someone you know and trust, mm-hmm. then then there's some real power there. And yeah, GitHub just shows you, hey, this guy can deliver in these ways. Yeah. I, I saw an interesting comment recently about the GitHub thing, um, which is that you know that if if a programmer if a programmer is hired by by a company that looks at their primarily looks at their GitHub profile for for why you know for whether to hire them. Uh, then they should require that company to to let them work on op- some open source work, uh, you know, or to release <laughs> yeah. some of their work as open source. And I thought that was a really really insightful point because you know uh, uh, I think a lot of companies are using you know they're using people's open source contributions as a way to as a way to you know just a a resource without necessarily giving back yeah, as a way to reel them into closed source dev. Exactly, <laughs> you know they're basically. Okay, th- you know, thanks for thanks for releasing that stuff, so we can judge you. Now, don't release anymore. Yeah. I, well, I think because it, because they don't want to make them an attractive target to be hired away from them now. <laughs> yeah, but yeah. at the same at the same time, you know, the having that job, you know, that awesome, amazing job, was sort of a resume builder, so to speak, before. And and so I kind of like Avdi's point of you know now that GitHub more or less is their resume, you know, you should allow them working for you to be able to continue to build their resume. Yeah. So, so I I. I think that the whole GitHub thing is, it's awesome if you go and look at somebody's GitHub account and you see that they have some great contributions and they're really involved in open source. But I try not to use that as an as the only indicator of someone's uh, skill and ability because there's many people who work at companies that don't support them doing open sourced work. They don't have really have an opportunity to get into it. And yeah. if you, know, you you can look at their GitHub account and they might have tons of really great stuff that they've done on closed source projects, but you just don't see it. Yeah. That's absolutely true. And if you have if you have a job at a company like that and you have kids, 
then there's a very good chance that you don't have time to <laughs> to you know to do that after hours uh, open yeah. source development. And you know, I've talked to, to tons of programmers that were in exactly that situation. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I'm I'm not in a job like that, and I have kids, and it's still hard. So. Yeah. I wouldn't say that the resume is dead, but I would point out. Uh, two things about it. One is that it's an artifact of the ecosystem prior to social media. So if your resume is your primary, you know, way of getting a job in the in in the web 3.0 dot you know dot world, um, mm-hmm. then maybe you need to uh, reconsider your career strategies um, because you're you're back in an old old horse. Uh, but the other thing to remember about a resume is don't overstress it. it, it the, job, the point of a resume is to get you an interview, and it's not to get you the job. So I, I, I said that thing verbatim to many people. It's, mm-hmm. it's really important to keep that in mind. Yep. Yep. The, 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 re- resumes are, uh, are, I think, a strange beast, and, and the, the language that people use in resumes is so particular to resumes, you know, the sort of – uh, nounless or, or, or you know subjectless uh, yeah. uh, sentence fragments yeah. that people use all over the place and, and, <laughs> and, no, and no articles like like yeah. no the or uh, worked yeah. on worked on system for migrating transactions yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right uh, I don't know if it's still around but a long time ago I, I I was like you know what screw this and I wrote like okay here's I had like my regular resume if you really really wanted I had a link somewhere but it, but my main resume that I put up was like you know what this is the resume that I want to write and it, it was like, you know, in, in such and such a year, I did this. And, you know, I just basically told a story and I used the word I. <sighs> yeah. The, the only other thing that I've ever seen resumes used for beyond getting the interview and, and setting the tone for the interview, I guess, is uh, I've also seen the hiring manager use the resume to justify the hire to their um, to their manager. So it you know because then they can go and they can say, see, he has five years experience and he's done this kind of stuff, and so you know he's definitely the candidate we want. Usually they're being micromanaged a little bit, but uh, yeah, it's it's it is something to be aware of that you may actually, you know, you can't just blow it off as, you know, it, it's just what I need to get into the interview. It still needs to look nice and, and well represent what you've got. Um, yeah. Right. So, so, so I'm going to, I'm pasting a link into the, into the chat room here. So this is a, a URL for a, a sort of vanity resume site for a friend of a friend. My friend showed me this and this guy's a like a product marketer and and product marketing guy and designer and he put together this amazing like one page website which is his resume <laughs> and it's one of the one of the most awesome things i've seen lately wow so, it almost looks like disneyland on there mm. yeah it's great yeah but it's it's the whole like hit hit the space bar and it'll scroll and kind of you know the it's the snap scrolling thing and so anyway so for for folks listening along this is whoispolyting.com and we'll, you know, we'll put it in the show notes, <laughs> but they, it's great. It's just, uh, you know, this guy really went all out. And if I were, if I were looking for a product marketing guy and I saw this page, I would be like, Oh, this guy's awesome. <laughs> I want to talk to him. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's yeah. awesome. So mission accomplished. Yeah. Yeah. A little bit of well, uniqueness there. Mm-hmm. Although, you know, if you're a programmer, don't feel like you have to, you have to <laughs> make a page that, that sells you like a product marketer would. I think Stu- I, I see stuff like this as a, as sort of a stereotypical programmer. I see stuff like this, and I'm kind of intimidated because I think you know there is no way I would ever come up with something like that. Uh, <laughs> so so yeah. I've, I've, I put my resume online years ago. I you know I actually sat down and wrote an HTML page by hand because that w- it was that long ago. And the the one thing I'll, it, I'll so I, I saw other people doing this at, around the same time too. And the one thing I'll say about if you're going to do that. Make sure that your CSS and your HTML uh, don't embarrass you. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, even if even if you have to go buy a theme for WordPress or a, you know a, a, an HTML layout of some kind, you know, because you're not really great at that. I mean, something that looks okay. Yeah. Well, it, I, I just mean if you're going to look at the HTML, like close your p tags and. <laughs> oh, you're talking about yeah. that? Yeah, the actual like, programming of the page. Yeah. Yes. Yes. That's actually a good Does point. Does that matter? And, and if oh, so for, to, for some people, yeah, I'm just they'll I'm, be like, because <laughs> yeah. they'll be like, you know, they'll be like, oh, is this, you know, 
you know, aha, I caught you. You yeah. know, you, you use like an off the shelf, you know, an off the shelf layout or something that from yeah. somebody that could barely code, and somebody will, will view source and be like, haha, you're a fraud. <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. You, you definitely want to remove the comment from the top that said this was pages generated by Microsoft front page. <laughs> <laughs> yes. So, so we're spending a lot of time talking about something that we declared was dead. Okay, let's um, move on. Should we move on to like, like how do you how to hire people? How to hire people? Um, so I have a real short answer to throw out for people. Um, I want to say it was either it was either Reg Braithwaite, uh, it's Ragenwald on Twitter and on GitHub, uh, or it was Rands. Uh, I think Rands and Repose is his blog. I think um, wrote just this very short rant about how everybody interviewing and everybody doing interviewing is stupid. And all this, you know, questions like why are manhole covers round and, and <laughs> you know, and, and all that crap. Uh, or even the FizzBuzz stuff or writing, writing crap on the whiteboard. Um, he's like, you guys are freaking idiots. Do you know what you are trying to do as an interviewer? Do you know what the hell you're doing? And he said, I'll tell you what you should be doing. And, and a lot of people, everyone I've talked to that does interviewing doesn't know this. And it's this. You're trying to find out if they can do the job. And if you are interviewing, you are trying to convince them that you can do the job. And so let's start with, do you know what the job is? Have you told the candidate what the job is? And if you are interviewing and you don't know exactly what the job is, then all you can really do is chat with them and see if you like them. Um, and all the other exercises that you can do really... They can be good icebreakers and they can help you, you know, reveal if this guy's going to be a good fit with the team and, and that sort of thing. But uh, focus on whether or not they can do the job as you craft your interview questions. And I, f I found that one piece of advice to be astonishingly effective for helping me uh, do much better interviewing uh, of people. Okay, well, well, I think that's a good point. But that to speak to the uh, question in the in the user voice description of the topic, mm -hmm. uh, what is more important, personality or professional skills? Is mm -hmm. the question. So there's, you know, okay, can they do the job, but also will they be a good fit for your team? I see, and I count that as part of doing the job, and I actually count, I, we are in violent agreement, Josh. Um, okay. I consider that part of the job, and I consider their personal skills, and like, like Pivotal Labs talks about hiring for empathy as their primary candidate. Um, mm -hmm. I consider that the most, you know, teachableness and uh, eager engagement are the two most important things uh, for me, for anyone to find out whether or not they can do the job. Unless I'm, unless I'm specifically looking for an expert in something, and then that, that expertise becomes the third thing I look for. I, I agree with you, Dave. I just want to put one caveat on that. And that is, is that they have to have at least some baseline ability yeah, in, in the what they're doing. So, right, yeah. exactly. So if they, if they don't meet like the basic criteria yep. for the ability to do the job, then it doesn't matter how much of the things that I really prize, like teachability right. and, and flexibility right. and, and intelligence, it right. doesn't matter how much of that they have because they can't back, do the job. That comes back to can they do the job, right? I mean, right. if you if you need basically an entry entry level programmer, you need somebody who can who can successfully complete FizzBuzz in a reasonable amount of time, um, and you kind of want to see if they can think, and and maybe you want to give them. I mean, the question like why are manhole covers round? Basically, I will still use questions like that mainly, but I use it deliberately with. I'm, I'm deliberately conscious of the fact that I am trolling this person to see <laughs> if they have good troll filters. <laughs> you know? Because I'm going to troll them once they come to work. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right. yeah. Test their critical thinking skills. I, I yeah, think my, my, my favorite answer for that question is because manholes are round. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. <laughs> That's a good answer. Anyway, my, my favorite answer to that is actually manhole covers aren't always round. Let's question the premise. <laughs> my dad, my father is a water operator. He pulls manholes all the time, and they're not always round. So okay. all, your, all your clever answers about not dropping the – I don't want to give the answer away, but you, you – oh, so you can't drop the, the cover down the hole. It's a safety thing. Uh, well, actually, maybe. Um, but yeah. Let's yeah. amend the question. Why are round manhole covers round? Well, because it's, because it's a tautology. <laughs> okay. Moving right along. 
but but yeah one other thing i want to point out is there are also baselines for the personality traits i mean they could be yeah. the best programmer in the world but if they're going to drive you and your team absolutely up the wall you yep. don't want to hire them yep so so the same yeah. thing there yep but, but i, like, I, some I like, of those i like the point of that's still part of doing the job yeah and there's it again it's fit for the team yeah um, dhh will hire people who are argumentative and persuasive and can construct arguments very well even if they construct them abrasively and aggressively because he values that and and he uh, you know, builds team culture that values that. I'm a very non-confrontational person, and I'm I'm very much a consensus builder. And so I I look for people who are not aggressive. I look for people who are not, you know, people who are more. Uh, I, I guess DHH looks for people who are more partisan, and I look for people who are more tolerant um, uh, because I'm more interested in a wildly diverse um, team situation and. Um, uh, wildly diverse thinking, like, you know, I love being on a team where there's Vim gurus and Emacs gurus and, um, you know, and the lion and the lamb shall lay down with each other and, you know, that kind of thing. Normally, you get those two guys, you put them in a cage and they'll fight. And when you can find a Vim guy that likes the Emacs guys, um, you want that guy around because so, so, I, I do anyway. Now, now, David, you're talking like you can take your pick. Like, like you actually have <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's right. You live in with, San Francisco. Yeah, isn't the real problem with hiring Rails developers that there aren't any around to hire? Oh, well, there oh. aren't any. There aren't any, uh, or there are a few left in the big hubs anyway. I, I, I talked to people. I missed your point. I assumed that you were saying <laughs> you're talking like you can take your pick between Vim and that other crap. Oh well. <laughs> <laughs> well, there's that too. But that goes without the, saying. Yes. The, the, so, so I'm here in San Francisco. There's a lot of of uh, Ruby development happening in this town. There's a lot of Ruby developers, but there are more jobs than there are developers. So there's a scarcity. I th and I think, uh, like Avdi said, that's like that in a lot of the big hubs. And uh, so the question that I get from people all the time is, how do you actually find developers to hire? Mm -hmm. and, and um, so I have an unusual answer to that, and that is uh, this, this contract that I'm working out in Chattanooga. I'm out here for two weeks. Uh, it's a five-month contract. It's two weeks on site to kind of gel with the team and, and meet everybody. And then I'm heading back to Utah, and we're all going to be remote. And um, this is the third or fourth project that I've worked on, or well, it's the second, the third one I've worked on. It's the fourth, or fourth one I've seen, where they basically uh, said we don't have Ruby programmers in house, uh, but we have these really experienced programmers in other, you know, technology X. In this case, it's uh, C sharp .net developers, and they basically looked at this project and said we've got five months to do this. There's no way we can do this in C sharp, but we can teach our C sharp guys to do. To, we can teach them Ruby and get it done in five months. And um, and so that's that might be a good answer to that question: is is where do you find Rails developers uh, in the .NET community, uh, in the Java community? A um, little yeah. hard to pull people away from mobile development because that's going strong and, and, and people love it and tend to be happy with it. But you find a lot of career programmers that are like maybe looking for something more and a way to branch out in some of the large legacy enterprise languages. They're, they're there and they're smart and they've got lots of programming expertise. And with just a little bit of brainwashing, you can reprogram them. Not a problem. <laughs> yeah. And, and that's, that's actually an approach I've seen work well many times. Yeah. Yeah. I said that for the benefit of the Chattanooga team who just came back into the room from grabbing lunch. <laughs> so, so one other thing that I've seen, um, I have a few friends that worked with me at a company here. Um, they just moved from Provo to Lehigh a few months ago. Anyway, um, but uh, those guys, they're not really super good at looking at looking for jobs. And I know that they are they are looking for jobs. You know, one of them quit a month or two ago, and the other two are still there until they find something better. And uh, so one another good way is just to talk to people who are well connected in your in your community or in your area mm -hmm. and see if they know people like that or, you know, might might be able to use their contacts, you know, maybe find a second degree or third degree contact that can can make that work for you. Um, and the thing is, is I have recruiters contact me all the time. And so I've been giving them these guys names and uh, I've had two of the recruiters actually contact me back and say, hey, 
um, now we need a reference for this guy. And and what that means is that they've contacted him and he said, yeah, I'm interested in the job. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, just, just talk around, just be involved in the community and see what you can come up with that way. The, yeah, so can, can we talk about recruiters for a moment? Sure. Yeah. Since, since, you, since you mentioned them. Uh, but can we do it and keep our family friendly rating? <laughs> oh, probably not. <laughs> <laughs> Have I told you how I handle the recruiters? No. How do you, how do you handle recruiters? So basically if you call my phone, my cell phone and you get my voicemail, it basically says, um, hi, I only take calls from people I know. And so if you're, if, if I don't know who you are, then you're going to go to voicemail. And this is because I have recruiters calling me all the time and I don't have time to talk to them all. So if you are a recruiter, send me an email and, and that way I can just give them my canned response <laughs> from text expander and I can just manage it that way. Cause it takes way too much time to talk to them. Mm. The, so I, I haven't had to deal with a recruiter on the phone in a long time, but uh, I, I'm just wondering if, if using recruiters is, is effective for people these days. The last time I was a hiring manager, and I was working with recruiters to find candidates. It was like trying to buy a used car from a from a salesman on a lot. Mm-hmm. And you know, you'd say, "Oh, I need a Java programmer," and they give you someone who does C sharp, or you know, or you know, <laughs> someone who does COBOL. Well, or- but it's it said JavaScript on his on his resume, so. <laughs> Isn't that the that's, same thing? That's the same thing as Java. Yeah. Um, <laughs> the the, the no, only no. thing I really get from these recruiters is free lunch. Um, Let me honest, take you to lunch and talk about the people you know. Okay. Yeah. So basically, I, I totally agree that the recruiters, at least 10, 15 years ago, served a valuable purpose, and that is that they were doing the networking um, for you. And um, and especially if you're in, in like enterprise-y, um, empire building type companies um, where you might not be circulating much and you might not be doing the networking yourself, then yeah, talk to a recruiter. Uh, I'll give you one tip. Only hire one recruiter. Never have two because if two recruiters send your resume to the same company, the HR will throw both resumes away because if they hire you, they will they will get sued by one of those two recruiters. Right, because they'll uh, pay the one and not the other. Yep, yep. Um, so if you're having trouble networking, um, yeah, pick up a, you know, find a good recruiter or, and, and I don't know if you, I don't know how you tell if there's a good recruiter, but David, I'm talking about from the per- perspective of the hiring manager, of the hiring manager. Yeah. Um, yeah. Next to worthless because they're doing the networking for you, but they're not doing any filtering. Um, but, but isn't it low risk because don't you just, don't you only pay them if they find you a person? Yeah. Well, okay. So, so there's two kinds of recruiters. Basically, there's there's the independent recruiters, the headhunters, and then there's the in-house people who are you know part of your company, and they get paid on salary, not on commission. Oh, right. Now, those, I, I have one of those, those that emails me every time he changes companies. Are you looking for a job now? <laughs> <laughs> I'm not kidding. That's awesome. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, having your own in-house recruiter that that's that's just formalizing the job of doing networking. I think that totally makes sense. Um, external recruiters are not free though, Chuck, because every time they send you a reference, you, they haven't done any filtering or vetting. And now you've got to decide whether or not you want to waste time vetting the stranger. It depends. I I think there are, there are plenty of recruiters that advertise that they're doing filtering for you. Oh yeah. They all advertise that. (laughs) So so they're free as in a puppy. Yeah. (laughs) You still have to clean up their mess. Um, great. Yeah, I, I, I just have a, I personally have a policy that I don't work with recruiters because I've never found any interaction with the recruiter to be useful for me. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, you know, if, if one came along that, that was actually useful, I would be happy to work with them. <laughs> but it just hasn't happened yet. Yeah. So, um, the, what we, uh, you were talking about before, what were we talking about just before the recruiter thing, before we got on that topic? Um, you're know, talking about, conver- oh, con- oh, brainwashing Java developers to become yeah. Ruby developers. Yeah. 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 I, I think that can work really well. The, it, it's a little harder to spot the right candidate, I mm-hmm. think, because that you don't know how their technical skills are going to translate over. I, yeah. when, when I, when I'm looking for somebody like that, I like to see more than one language in their resume. Yeah, yeah. And you have to be ready for culture shock, especially, especially if they're a monolanguage uh, developer. Um, somebody coming from Java is going to expect a complete robust object system, um, not, this, uh, not the Ruby Gems uh, freak show bazaar where there's seven, ver- or seven different flavors of every gem and it, it still might be valid to write an eighth one because none of them work the way you want them to. 
Um, the .NET developers, they're coming from Microsoft where the tool is amazing. You hit F1, you get this giant document that documents the entire SDK and API. And that no, that doesn't happen in Ruby because the SDK is moving so fast. And so, yeah, you've got to, you've got to, you've got to try and look for, I'm really enjoying this with the team out here in Chattanooga is that they, they have kind of embraced the culture shock and uh, their hair is all turning white, but uh, they, they're getting through it. But uh, that's something that I would check for in, uh, in the interview process. Um, and that's maybe when you might want to use some of the trolling questions, you know, like prove P equals NP, um, you know, give them an, just an increasingly hard or bizarre programming challenge and it's a psychological test. Basically, what happens when they finally get to the point where they can't do it? How do they deal with that frustration? If they explode, then you know maybe you just flunked the psyche valve because throwing you into Ruby is going to give you a migraine for six months, and you're not going to cope well. I want to see a programmer explode. These, uh, I'm, I'll try and videotape these guys out here because this is they're, they are they are learning Ruby for the first time. They're learning Emacs for the first time. They're learning Tmux. Um, they've got Git under their belt already. Um, but yeah, rocking straight into Emacs from, you know, like Visual Studio and straight into Ruby from C Sharp. Uh, I got a pretty good chance of actually watching a human being spontaneously combust out here. And I'll try to get it on video when it happens. <laughs> nice. Okay. Um, the, so we've, we've talked about interviewing and the interview process. That I was at Pivotal for like four years, and I, I interviewed a lot of developers the Pivotal style, um, and which was kind of different from the way we I was interviewing people before. I, I'm, I'm actually ashamed to admit that I used some of those brain stumper questions, <laughs> and and I think I mentioned in a previous podcast my um, my sort of uh, you know idiotic question about trying to rewrite all of the enumerable methods as. Um, you know, on top of inject instead of each, yeah, yeah. Uh, which which was actually kind of fun to do in the in the uh, in the interviews, but it wasn't very effective. Uh, the, so the, so at Pivotal, they've you know interviewed I don't know how many you know gajillions of developers, but a lot. And in the four years I was there, I probably you know helped interview somebody every month or so. So that's you know you know probably forty or fifty people I helped interview. Um, the and the the pivotal thing was you know you come in and you do like a half hour to hour pair programming interview with the CEO Rob Me and he's literally interviewed thousands of people and he has it has it really down and he does a, a little pair programming exercise and it's it's fun he does it in Java because he's much better at the the IDE for Java than than doing stuff in Ruby but the uh, but you don't have to know Java because it's all at the conceptual level doing the pairing mm. and and he. He like has a particular way of scoring people that's very um, uh, uh, numerically consistent, I guess. Uh, and, but then if you get through that, and quite a few people do, <laughs> that you go on to do a, a pair programming interview. So you spend either a half day or a day pairing with a pivot working on work. And a lot of times it was internal projects. Um, and the... Uh, and, and so I, I ended up pairing with a lot of uh, candidates that way. And, and I think that's the, the point that, that Rob makes whenever he talks about this is that if you, were, if you were casting an actor to play a role in a play or a movie, um, what's the first thing that they do? They audition. Mm -hmm. yeah. you know, they show you their acting skills. Yep. And you, know, you would never hire an actor by sitting down and having a conversation with them about how they felt they did in a previous acting <laughs> job and, yeah. and what were some of the problems they encountered and how did they overcome them. <laughs> you'd, you'd actually you know, give them a chance to show you they can act. So the, that's, that's what we did with the pair programming interviews. At Pivotal, we would sit down a developer candidate and we would pair with them for you know half day or a day and see what they got and you know there were some very particular criteria that we evaluated people on like you know how good were they at ruby or rails um how good were you know did they uh tend to test drive things well how were their communication skills did they, you know you know just all that stuff and 
we found that that was a pretty effective way to interview people. It, it's, it's more of a commitment, so you need to do some sort of screening process before you get them into the pair programming interview because you don't want to spend a half day or a day of one of your employee developers' time doing this interview unless you think the candidate is worth spending that time on. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that makes sense. You kind of throw them in the pool and see if they can swim and if they can obey all the rules. I, I I just want to say I completely agree with that. I've for for a few years now I've I've kind of held to the to the belief that the only the only reasonable way to interview uh, developers in this day and age is just to pair program with the, with the, with them. Um, and um, yeah, I mean it, it's true you do have to to do some filtering. Um, I was kind of thinking about that, and I was thinking I mean uh, <clears throat> one thing that that you can do though is is like. If you have people that are coming to you that they're like maybe kind of interested in in working with you, um, and if your company also has like open source development time, you know, like twenty percent time Friday, you know, open source Fridays or something like that, uh, consider having people that are interested in working with you, you know, op- kind of opening the doors a bit and letting people come in and do pair programming on those open source days. Uh, and, you know, and then, you know, maybe, maybe you're not hiring right now, but maybe when you are hiring, you'll look back and think, you know, that, you know, you, you'll, you'll ask around and, and, and some people really had a good time pairing, um, with, with one of the people that came in and they'll say, well, let's, let's see if, if she's available. Right. I, I agree. Um, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm a little curious. I'm, I'm going to change the topic a little bit here because I, I think we all just, we all pretty much agree on that. You know, you get a really good feel for how somebody is by pairing with them or spending time with them. Um, how, how do you convince them to come to your company? Let's say that, I mean, let's say for example, that in some large, uh, metropolitan area, there are way more jobs for Ruby developers than there are Ruby developers. So you can assume that if somebody's out there on the job hunt, um, that they're going to receive multiple offers. So how do you make your offer the one that they're going to take? Offer them cookies. <laughs> <laughs> Done. Uh, I'm moving okay. to Pennsylvania tomorrow. So, uh, so, so Chuck, you skip to the end. <laughs> It's, the, it, it, it's not just convincing them to take your offer, and and I think we should talk about that. But that's part of the whole process of getting their attention in the first place, and that that starts with marketing the job. Yeah. You got to write a job description. You got to get the word out there. You have to have to connect with potential developers and get them to come in and talk to you in the first place. The and I I was just uh, I just tweeted last night. Uh, I was talking to a friend of mine. He wanted some help in in um, doing his job description for a Rails developer, and he sent me the job description that they put together. And it was it was a good, solid, middle of the pack job description, you know, written in HR speak. And uh, <laughs> I love those. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it says you know we're we're building a world class interdisciplinary team of developers, designers, and you know whatever. It's and you know you know we're solving scalable problems. I'm like nobody cares about that. You know, tell them your team. You know, tell them why you're awesome. And you know, if you and I talk together, you you make a really good case for why your team is awesome, why your why what you're doing is amazing. Uh, you know, just put that in the job description. So uh, I pointed him at a a particular job description that I I really like, and I tweeted about it last night. It's uh, the Change.org guys had a really good job posting up, and I had I had actually worked with them as a client a while back and gave them a little guidance on how to do their job posting. Because it, the job market, at least in cities like San Francisco, is really competitive to hire Rails developers. So you can't just assume that everyone is dying to find a job and tell them what their what their job skills have to be. Oh, you know, requirements: you must have a you know a BS with four years of programming experience, and you you know you have to know JavaScript and and SQL yeah. and all that. Yeah, no, they're, just, they're like, can you type? <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. So, so you have the first thing you have to do is you have to sell the candidate on your company and why they want to come work for you. Yeah. And and part of that process is speaking to them in a language they understand. So, so I, I have a short list of things that developers and and really people care about when they're going and looking at a job and. You know what? You know, and, and the kind of things that people talk about in job descriptions usually isn't that. But I, I say that the things that um, that people care about 
are who you know who is the team? What are the tools that you use? What's the development process? Where is the job located? What are the salary and benefits and all that? And what's the company culture like? And that and that has nothing to do with you know the product that they're building or or any of that. Mm-hmm. To, because that kind of stuff can change when you go to a company. To you know you know you can you know be you know your job assignment can change and all that. But 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 those th- those things that I just talked about tend to be fairly constant. Uh, no matter what project you're working on at a company, yeah. and so uh, did I miss stuff? Is there no? I I did have a, a a thing to add. I have uh, what I think is it's very profound to me, uh, but I have a very simple yet very hard answer to give, and that was um, so you know I, I grew up LDS and I went to BYU, and of course it, that's basically where you go you know looking for spouses, and uh, well just one these days. Anyway, um, <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> I just trolled my. I just trolled myself. That was awesome. Burn, burn on me. Um, anyway, um, so while I was there, I got some really good advice because everybody's, you know, anxiously, you know, looking around the dating scene. You know, which one of you is going to be my eternal companion? And. Um, somebody sat down and said, look, if you want the perfect wife, you need to be the perfect husband. And if you want to attract the perfect wife, you need to be the kind of person that the perfect wife for you would want to be with. So how do you attract the perfect employee? Well, you need to sit down and decide what kind of guy is or girl is the perfect fit for this company. Um, and what do we need to do to be the, the perfect employer employer? For that person, and if you work conscientiously on that, um, the the right people will find you, and the wrong people will leave. And um, that this it, it's very it's simple and kind of obvious, but if you think about it, it's really profound. That's kind of beautiful. Yeah, I, it's, it, I'm I am literally saying that you know if you have a row of cubicles and you want people to you know to be dynamic free thinkers and you know then you know what maybe you need to get rid of the cubicles uh, you need to ask yourself if you really or you need to just own up to the fact that what you really want is middle of the pack um, you know career programmers who don't really uh, you know aren't that passionate <laughs> there, there was a great Dilbert uh, well there are many great Dilberts but there's a yes. particular Dilbert years ago where Dilbert was talking to the pointy-haired boss and you know about the the salary policies mm-hmm. and and hiring and the boss says you know I want you to go out and hire the best and Dilbert says but we only pay them according to industry average yes. how do you how can we hire the best people if we're only willing to pay them average uh-huh. <laughs> and and, and uh, you know the boss says something like oh you know I want you to hire you know stupid genius Uh I remember that Dilbert sends says so we're looking for an occupational savant (laughs) somebody who can do the work well yet is somehow unable to compare two salary figures and determine which is larger yeah right Very good. <laughs> that's that's funny. So, oh, oh, anyway, so I I, I was going to put this link in the in the in the room for the for the um, job description that I liked. Oh, so, yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. And and the thing that I like about this job description is that it 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 speaks to the work environment and the things that uh, the it basically sells the job first. You know, it yeah. says you're going to work on a Mac, you're going to do TDD and Agile, and here's your team. And nice. Yeah, I, I do. I do have to say though that one thing that really helped me with one of the jobs that I got was that I knew somebody there. Um, this guy named Dave. And, uh, you know, and so I, I, I could talk to him and get an honest opinion of what I was getting myself into. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so and that helps, too. And so if you're looking for people, it might not hurt to go talk to your A players and see who they can bring. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Well, th- that's interesting. Pretty much. I, I think almost every job that I've had in my career. I've gotten introduced to that job through somebody that I knew. And so that so when I try and hire people, I, I try and do the same thing. I try and go through people that I know because I figure if it works for me getting hired that way, maybe that's the way other people usually get hired. Yeah. So, yeah. The, so the trust yeah. network is not a direct graph. It, right. it works for employers the same way it works for employees. Yeah. So, so, the, so the question I get from job seekers is how do I get to know these people? Get to know a lot of people and eventually some of them will be those people. Yeah, I mean, I, yeah. and mostly what I hear that who I hear that from are you know, as a result of of, of running the the wide teams podcast, mm-hmm. uh, I hear from a lot of people that are like, "Well, you know, it's great. You know, it's easy if if you live in San Francisco to attend the users groups or or whatever and and get to know people. But you know, when I live in in 
you know, the middle of nowhere. Um, how do I how do I develop that network? That's what I hear mm-hmm. a lot. Avdi, have you have you done this already? I just had this idea, and it occurs to me that you've probably already figured this out and executed on it. But if not, we should start it right now, and that is put together some way of referring these people to people like you and I and Evan. Light and, and those people who have, who have actually come up publicly and said, uh, if you want to remote pair sometime, ping me and I will I will remote pair with you because there's your answer. How do you how do you find people that, and get to know them? Well, there, here's three people that'll pair with you. Yeah. Um, You're talking about pair roulette. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh. So I, I know of um, I know of actually at least two sites that people are putting together um, for for. Um, you know, for getting people together with with remote pairs, so that they can mm-hmm. d- develop their network that way and, and work with other people. Yeah. Um, and I don't uh, have the the URLs on the top of my head, but I'll make sure they go get into the show notes. Okay. Yeah, because I mean, it's we live in a we live in a single planet now that's that's hyper connected. There's there's no reason just because you live in Podunk, Montana, to say that I can't be connected to the you know the global development network, especially if you work on computers. You know, actually, these people might be self-selecting out, and maybe that's a good thing. Mm. I don't think so. I think it's it's it's. Um, that was a snotty thing to say. Yeah, sorry. I, no, it's <laughs> go stand in the corner. Yeah, people are asking for help, and I'm kicking him in the teeth. It, it's threatening. I mean, it's. I, I think you know, it's easy. It's easy when you've been sort of enmeshed in the technical scene for a long time to, you know, in the community for a long time to think that it's it's really easy to, to, to get in. And I think it is really easy to get in, but it's still, um, you know, when you're new to it, it's still, um, it still can be very intimidating. Yeah. And, um, and you just don't know where to start. And, and you know, people have a natural bias against, pe- you know, against people that they can't see in person. And it's not like, you know, it's not like, oh, I hate you because I can't see you. It's just, it's just, you know, it, we tend to prefer people that we can meet up with, you know, for coffee or go out for drinks after a, after a Ruby meetup. And, and uh, so it's, it's hard. And that's, you know, one of the things I think about a lot um, as, you know, just talking to a lot of people that, that are on distributed teams is how do we make it easier for these people that are out in the middle of nowhere to, to join up with the the community because there's a ton of talent out there people just you know yeah. waiting to to yeah. get involved yeah so so I think community involvement is is important on both sides of the equation I the um, you know, you look at a lot of the successful uh, rails companies you know you know companies using rails and uh, I think a lot of them are out there sponsoring conferences and and sponsoring open source development and just being good citizens. You know, it's like ThoughtBot provided a whole bunch of cool tools to the community and libraries and, and things like that. And, you know, and GitHub you know, has been amazingly generous with technology and providing you know, free hosting for all sorts of open source stuff. And you know, you know, EngineYard has done cool stuff. There's a lot of these uh, companies that do that and they contribute to the community. And I think that helps them hire greatly. It, you know, it, when, you know, if you're a Rails developer sitting around and you decide, oh, I'm moving to San Francisco, I need to go get a job, who are you going to pick up the phone and call? Or, or sorry, yeah. no, people don't use phones anymore. Uh, you know, who are you going to tweet at to say you, you want a job? Who are you going to send a fax to? Yeah. 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 Thank you. <laughs> who are you going to telegraph? Uh, <laughs> but the, uh, you know, it's the companies that you're aware of and you recognize their names and, the you know unless you have a friend who works at a company and and they'll just snatch you up right away. But the, the, but I think that that contributing to the community in San Francisco it's it's crazy how competitive it is to try and get in a position where you can host an event for the community. <laughs> you know it's really? like the, cal- the calendar is so full of hack nights and. And meetups, and it's it's you could you could have free pizza and beer every night of the month if you wanted, practically. Wow. Uh, wow. But but it's uh, but it's it it's how you have to play the game here to be able to uh, you know, raise your company's profile enough and get enough uh, sort of ambient goodwill in the community, so that when people are out you know thinking about changing jobs or are looking for a job. That uh, that you're one of the places that they think of looking. Yeah. Yeah. The other thing that I've seen is that uh, if you can get your developers to show up and be involved. So. Uh, oh yes. It, it seems like out here in Utah, you know, you don't have a ton of companies lining up to host the meetups and stuff. But 
um, the companies that people tend to look look toward first are the ones that kind of have the the elite guys that are presenting all the time at the users groups and oh, yeah. are doing mentoring before or after and are answering questions and are active on the mailing list. And, uh, you know, so then when people are looking for a job, it's like, well, I want to work with that guy because he's smart and he, you know, he can mentor me and help me move up in my career and things like that. And so they go find out where he works and then they apply there. Yeah. Yeah. Th- yeah. That's that's great. The, the other thing that's great is um, participating in a Rails bridge workshop mm. or, you know, that you know, we really have to have, um, you know, Sarah May or Sarah Allen on to talk about Rails bridge soon. But they but, you know, they have. You know, the mission of RailsBridge is to increase diversity in the Ruby and Rails development communities. And, and, you know, they've been successful at this. They have, you know, pulled people into the community and given them free training in how to do Ruby and Rails development. And, you know, I have met people, you know, working as Rails developers here in San Francisco who, you know, they came to Rails because they went to a RailsBridge training. They learned how to do you know, they got, they got, you know, they got their start there. And next thing you know, they're, oh, hey, I'm a Rails developer and I work at a consultancy. Uh-huh. And, you know, that, you know, it, if you look at the amount of uh, financial investment that a company has to put into, you know, you know, hosting a Rails bridge workshop or, or sending a developer to go be a teacher at one of those workshops versus what you would pay a headhunter for 30% of someone's annual salary to place them. Yeah, it's it's you know why would you spend all that money on the recruiter when you could produce you know similar results, and you know vastly it, superior results. Yeah. Oh yeah. So yeah. Yeah. So I just want to further recant and repent of my snotty comment, um, and and point out that uh, networking is a social skill, and a lot of us got into programming because. Um, we could relate to computers and to objects and things and because and we got really into computers because we didn't like spending time with people and so social skills can be terrifying and so yeah I just want to I want to further repent and basically say yeah if you are out in one of these outlying areas or if you're in a very enterprisey job and you don't know how to network outside of your job and what you need to do is you need to find some safe people that you trust that you can contact and start with David Brady start with Avdi Grimm start with Evan Light just just contact I mean I know I know those three people mm-hmm. um, have put out an open call to if you are interested in pair programming and interested in networking and getting to you know and, and you know talk to us we are literally waiting for you to you know <laughs> I mean we're we're busy we may put you off um, but we are absolutely interested in you know in in helping you get out of you know a non Ruby job because by definition it would have to suck yeah. Um, all right. Well, um, we're getting close to our time, but I do want to ask one more question. And I know that this is kind of a, a stretch hypothetical, but assuming that you guys were willing to take a regular full-time job, you know, not what you're doing right now, um, what what would that job have to look like for you to be willing to work there? I can answer that in one sentence. Go watch the RSA animate of uh, Dan Pink's Drive, um, and it will answer. I... I would take a full-time job as long as I had autonomy, um, ownership, uh, something challenging me, um, and uh, you know, meaningful compensation. Not, so not you would so you fast. would take a full-time job if it was if it was exactly like working for yourself. Pretty much. Um, <laughs> <laughs> well, working for myself is I, I work for myself because um, I haven't had a lot of full-time jobs where I've had control over all four of the key variables from drive and working for myself I have control of all four of those those variables and um, so yes if it had those four innate qualities the same as working for myself then yeah I would do it does it would it have to look anything like what my day-to-day uh, job as uh, uh, sorry I was, uh, Chuck just asked me if I would put that a link to that in the show notes and I will um, but does does it does a full time job have to look anything like um, you know what I do day to day as a as a contractor? No, not at all. Like in in the past six months, I have considered um, I've considered interviewing at Heroku and uh, Pivotal Labs and a couple other places just because I've hung out with people. And and here again, it's networking, guys. Just because I've hung out like with a bunch of ex pivots, and I've I've realized, man, it might be fun to go spend a year at Pivotal Labs pairing all day every day just so that I could have that experience. So that mm-hmm. was a really, really long sentence. But in, in fairness, Avdi prompted me for more. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. What, what about you, Josh? 
What was the question? Like, what would be the job I would leave my current job for? No, if if you, let's say you were in a position to take a full time job and you were uh-huh. willing to do that, what would that job have to look like to make it worth it to you to to take it? I mean, what would uh, that ideal job look like? The, so the 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 thing that there's a there's I think you know two things that tend to correlate closely with my happiness at a job, and one is that uh, there's a great team of people that I that I get to hang out with all day. And two is I'm working on something that is important to the company. Right. That you know, you know, the times when I've been working on stuff that is not central to the business of the company and isn't you know very closely related to the company making money or being successful, I always feel like I'm off in the weeds and nobody cares what I'm doing. And the, you know, I like to be a guy who has an impact. And you know, I, I, I can't be satisfied just by doing quality work on my own if it's not work that um, mat- matters to other people. So I, I, I know that about myself. I know that there's other people who they just like they want to write the best damn algorithm they can and that makes them happy. So you know, more power to them. But uh, you know, so, so for me, it's just like what's the quality of the team and you know, do people care about what I'm doing? I once worked at a job where I got a bug report that began with the sentence, fortunately, nobody was killed, but. (laughs) You've told that story. I've I've told that story, so you can go listen to the past episodes about it. But the the comment I want to make about it is that job, to this day, I still feel that that was the most important thing I was doing for humanity. Um, I was saving lives every day at that company. And um, it wasn't the best programming I've ever done. It wasn't the most enjoyable programming I've ever done. But it's the most job satisfaction at the end of the day that I've ever had. Awesome. Mm. All right. Did we ask Avdi about his nope. ideal job? So um, that's, I don't even I don't know if I have a good answer for this because it was it would really at this point it would it would be it would be unfair because it would be the the job that would pay me to keep doing what I'm doing, which you know. So, you know, writing, you know, researching and writing, um, you know, blogging, uh, podcasting, uh, pair, doing open source pair programming sessions with people. You know, if, if somebody came along and said, hey, we want to we want to pay you to 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 do all that stuff, I'd be like, great. But uh, but, you know, I, I can't imagine um, I can't imagine like there's no like, you know, working environment or anything like that. That would be like, OK, yeah, I'll stop what I'm doing right now. And uh <laughs> And and switch to and switch to your project. Yeah, I'm kind of in the same boat. I mean, um, the podcasts are really important to me, and I, I like being able to you know work on some open source stuff every once in a while. Um, you know, I, I think so. So there's a lot of freedom there. I mean, if they if they were willing to let me continue to do the shows, and uh, you know continue to to work on open source, then that would be terrific. Um, but the other thing is for me is that it seems like in a lot of cases. Um, autonomy is a really big thing for me, you know, just to be able to do things that I think add value, you know, look at the things, the problems that we have, you know, be part of the conversation there and then be able to solve the problems is, is huge for me. And and that's something that I did at public engines where I was setting up the, um, continuous integration. And I was, I set up our, our internal Git server and, you know, worked with the IT guys to, to make the process, um, less horribly painful, I guess. Um, but just things like that, um, you know, where, where I can just add value where I see that I need to and, um, be able to work with people. I like, I like being mentored and I like mentoring people. So I like the ability to work with people who are way ahead of me that can kind of bring me up to their level. And I also like being able to help other people who are just getting started into Ruby and stuff. Um, there, there were a couple of guys that weren't junior programmers, but they weren't Ruby programmers. And so, you know, helping them at, at public engines was also a nice thing that I really enjoyed. But I mean, just the quality and caliber of people that I work with, it, you know, sometimes you wind up working with people that you just can't deal with. Yeah. And if you have to deal with them on more than a weekly basis, you really just want to put a hole in something. And so, uh, sorry about that. <laughs> it, was, it wasn't you. <laughs> I, I, I won't mention which VP of marketing uh, I'm talking about, but um, anyway, you know, so, so, I mean, they're, they're just things like that, you know, where it's, it's more that they don't have things that drive me crazy and then they just give me some freedom and, and let me really do what I do well. Um, so, um, and, and then obviously, you know, you'd have to pay me well enough if you wanted to get me out of freelancing to actually compensate for all of the other things that I like about it. So anyway, um, so let's get into the picks. I know we're over our time, but, uh, um, we'll, we'll make David start us off. Um, got a really easy one. Um, in episode one, according to, uh, the David Brady pick machine, 
uh, James Gray picked uh, Tmux as his pick. And I was using Screen, and Screen worked just fine, and Tmux was the new kid on the block, and it was kind of interesting, and, you know, so, yeah, yeah whatever. Um, you know, didn't really need to get all excited about this Tmux thing. And I came out here to uh, Chattanooga to work with this team, and uh, one of the guys on the team uh, picked up the the Tmux book uh, from Prague Prague, and um, in just a, like two days or three days of reading, he was doing stuff in Tmux that was like black magic for me uh, in uh, screen, uh, like, like splitting pane windows visually, resizing panes. Um, having the panes be labeled and named. The sharing is so much easier than screen. Screen is really uh, restrictive on how it will, you know, how it is uh, shared and whatnot. Um, you can make it so that everybody's in lockstep so that if, if somebody changes from, you know, page one to page two, everybody sees that we've gone to page two. Or you can make it so that you can go off on your own and you can go to page two and leave the other guy on page one and and you're all just sharing a combined environment. So uh, the Prague Prog, uh, they've got a, they've got the Tmux book, and it's uh, it's really great. I've just started flipping. I just bought my copy yesterday, and I've started flipping through it, and uh, it's gotten us uh, very quickly through the hurdle of being able to share a shared text environment uh, remotely with each other. So your pick is a book on black magic. Yeah, basically. Awesome. Yep. You're trying to get excommunicated. Um, I, would, <laughs> I wouldn't say trying. <laughs> correlation does correlation does not equal causation. Uh, I'm just going to keep telling myself that. Oh yeah, I had to bite my tongue. When we were in the same congregation because if the bishop knew what I knew, <laughs> <laughs> hope he doesn't listen to the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Josh, okay. what are your picks? Okay, so I, I have a relevant pick. Um, it's, a, it's, a, um, it's a video of a meetup that happened here in San Francisco uh, a while back, and it's, uh, it's called uh, Scaling Your Rails Developers. I think it's called, yeah, Scaling Your Rubyists, sorry. Um, and it's, uh, it's a video of a, of a panel discussion between uh, people from Engineering, Pivotal Labs, Carbon5, you know, cloud city development, you know, a bunch of bunch of local uh, businesses that hire a lot of Rubyists and talking about their strategies for hiring. So it's completely relevant to the conversation today and worth watching. The, the other uh, pick that I have is something that's in alpha, so you can't just jump on and use it right away, but you can request an invite and get in. It's called Easel. Uh, io and it's it's pretty cool it's uh it's a tool for doing web div- web ui uh, design in a browser so it's like direct manipulation editing of the dom and they have tools for you know making h1s and and paragraphs and bo- and buttons and you can style everything and then you click a button and it exports the html and the css so the, I, I, I've, I've only started using it about a week ago. And, but the, the cool thing about it is that it, it's an easy way to collaborate. So if you have a couple people working on the design, there's a shared space and they can work on the designs together. And, uh, you know, it's, it's so much easier than like emailing stuff back and forth to each other or even, you know, putting shared things in Dropbox. So it's, it's, uh, it's worth uh, trying to request a, an invite from them. And uh, cool. They have a, a cool little social networking uh, thing to, you know, the more people that you sh- that you get to sign up on the waiting list, the faster your waiting list uh, thing gets uh, accepted. So, so that's it for me today. Awesome, Avdi. What are your picks? Uh, let's see. I got a few picks. So, um, something I enjoyed reading this past week is um, a uh, an article on InfoQ. It's a virtual panel, Code to Test Ratios, TDD and BDD is the title. And um, they basically sent some questions to uh, several people that have been kind of prominent in TD, in the, the TDD and BDD uh, field. Uh, so some people like J.B. Rainsberg, uh, Rainsberger, they misspelled his name, uh, Dan North, Ron Jeffries, Steve Freeman, who is one of the authors of Growing Object-Oriented Software, our book club book. Um, and the, the, the questions in this, in this interview or this, this round table aren't that great, but, um, 
it's kind of redeemed by the people that are answering the questions. And, uh, you know, just like it, it's really it's a great way to get some, uh, you know, the point of view of some of the people that have been foremost in, in evolving TDD and, and BDD methodologies or whatever you want to call them practices, um, you know, like what they what they what they how they use it, what they really mean by it. Um, and I think it, it clears up a lot of misconceptions. Uh, so I'll put that, that link in the show notes. Um, real quick mention, I can't believe I haven't mentioned this before, but I don't see it in the pics. Um, uh, one of the, the podcasts, when I, when I do get the time to listen to, to podcasts, I try to catch up on old episodes of this developer's life, which is a, um, it's, it's a podcast that's explicitly styled on this American life. And, uh, it gets into sort sort of more of the, the social, aspects and the like the 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 non not quite so technical aspects of the life of a programmer and uh, it's just a really really well done podcast um and finally i feel like i should have something that's non-developer related in here so uh, a few weeks ago i bought myself a uh, a pair of sort of do-it-yourself uh harachis or however the heck you pronounce it uh, they're just minimalist running sandals uh, from InvisibleShoe.com, and uh, I've been pretty happy with them, so um, check them out. Awesome. All right. Well, I guess it's my turn. Um, one thing that uh, I got invited to a few days ago, I think it was one of the guys on the Ruby Freelancer show that mentioned it. Um, there's a service out there called Prismatic, and uh, basically it's a service that looks through your social media links, um, your, your social media connections, like on Facebook and Twitter and stuff and uh articles that people share and um it picks um it picks stories that it looks like you'll be most interested in and it's it's really kind of cool it, it it's actually done a really good job as far as um everything on here is something that i would be interested in reading and so uh you know i you can get it at getprismatic.com so it's basically kryptonite for add <laughs> something like that yeah <laughs> so the the other thing that I, I got and I bought these because my uh, well we we were all out of town for a while my wife went to Texas my two oldest kids were with my mother-in-law um, my two youngest kids were you know being taken care of by my sisters and then I'd pick them up in the evening and so while they were gone I ordered these uh, these little animals that uh, you can launch across the room I think Dave might remember these because uh, Kevin brought them in at one point into the office oh the, the screaming monkey yeah and so I don't know if I can get it to go off here but uh, yeah so you basically pull the arms of the monkey back and then you let go of it and I don't know if you heard that but yeah but anyway I got I got that one and a chicken and a cow and, and they all make different noises when they get launched, and they're pretty fun. Um, I bought them off Amazon for like a buck or something a piece, and so I'll, I'll put links to those as well. They're just kind of fun things to have around the house. The kids were throwing them around everywhere for like two days. So uh, if, if you're looking for a fun little office thing that you can, you know, launch at your office mates and no, kind of get no, a laugh out of. No, no, <laughs> no. I hated that thing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it'd come flying over your monitor, and you're like, whoa, and it's like, I'm I'm seven layers deep in a sub-select trying to figure out some code and then... <laughs> yeah, yeah they're, they're fun. They're, they're a lot of fun little office things you can get, but that's one of them that, that was one of my favorites. So anyway, um, that's pretty much everything. We will be doing a book review of uh, growing object-oriented software guided by tests. I always get stuck after the first word. Um, we're going to be... They, they, they obviously grew the title of that book guided by something other than tests, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But uh, yeah, we'll be talking to the authors on the 22nd of August. Um, and uh, we, we got both authors lined up for that. So I'm just going to keep following up with them and lining things up. I've had a few people ask me for discount codes. I haven't, been, I haven't gotten anything back from them on that i don't know if their publisher will will do that or not so um i i highly recommend at this point that you just go buy the book and uh and read it before we talk to them um you can also leave us a review on itunes just go into itunes look up ruby rogues and uh, leave us a review Re we really really appreciate that and uh if you have any topics you want to um share with us on the show uh, go to rubyrogues.com and click on uh, request a topic. And finally, you if you want to be on an email list where we all kind of talk about stuff related to the show and things like that, um, you can go into or you can go to rubyrogues.com slash parlay and you can sign up there. So uh, that that's everything that I can think of. And uh, we'll catch you all next week.